Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We have a lot to talk about today. Uh, Just a short time before we started recording, the uh, House Democrats have released, House Majority has released uh, two articles of impeachment that are, I guess those are, I guess they're still the draft articles of impeachment. They're still subject to, to like a markup in committee and obviously they haven't been voted yet. Uh, yesterday we had this uh, hearing where, kind of sort of odd hearing where uh, the, the Judiciary Committee like basically interviewed its own staff and yelled at each other for, for um, like seven or eight hours. Yeah, seven or eight <laughs> hours. I, you know, it's funny. I, I really took like people talk about like, you know, various kinds of privilege in our society today. And I just like took the privileges like I cannot stand listening to this. And I just like just just stop listening. Yeah. I just couldn't I couldn't take it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. There well, go. joining us today, Josh Kavensky, reporter in our New York bureau. Hey, Josh. Hey, how are, how are you? you? Good. Good, good yeah. And a special guest, Nicola Fond, senior news writer in our New York office. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. It's been a while since we've had you on, so it's good yeah. good to have you back. When um, did wait before before we get to the before we get to the ad? When did when when were you an intern? Remind me, how far back does that go? I interned the summer of 2014, and right. then. Uh, Moved back to Illinois for about three years. And you worked at a local paper there. I did, yes. Right. And then, the News and then, Gazette. Right. And you came back here and you went, you, and you just finished the program at Columbia. Yeah. Um, the, graduated in May. Right. Right. So. As, a for, right. as a former intern turned staffer, you know, I'm, I appreciate a little bit of solidarity. You know, another one who's been through the ringer in that sense, too. Yeah. yeah round yep. two has been great yeah, so good. far. Cool, cool. All right, so we're going to... I, I interrupted you, David. Sorry about that. No, that's all good. Yeah, so before we get into all that, we have a, just a little bit of business to take care of. Nicole, you want to take it away? Sure thing. Um, do you love to save a buck by skipping the coffee shop? I know I do. Are you a do-it-yourselfer, a brew-it-yourselfer? So is Grady's Cold Brew. You asked, and they delivered. Brew it yourself with Grady's New Orleans-style coarse ground coffee blend. Designed to work in any cold or hot coffee maker, one bag makes 24 servings of Grady's beans and French chicory, chicory, chicory. in a reasonable pouch for, onla- for 
I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's all right. This is this is cold read. Question. It's cold yeah. read. Yeah, cold open. It's uh, totally like 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 authentic. <laughs> Let's keep just yes, get right back keep on going. the horse. Yeah. Uh, ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM, or Grady's on Amazon.com for next day delivery. There cool. You, there you go. You know the thing is, I, I assume everybody here like it's always when our our regular co-host Kate. Riga is here, who, who uh, she's on vacation right now, so she's not here today. When she's here, though, I mean, I love Kate, but I always feel like it's a little fake because <laughs> she's, Kate, not a, she's not Kate a cold doesn't drink. Drinker. No, she doesn't drink coffee. Right. She, At least as she admitted this one time. Yeah, she's not a, she um, does her coffee cart guy every morning. Yeah. So. Well, okay, so she drinks some, yes, like, but a lots, different kind of coffee. It's just but not, like, not, not the brand that she's wrapping. Right? Yeah. yeah. <sighs> it's, she does, she's a very much a milk and sugar person. I think it's well, a means to an end, so. a caffeine delivery yeah. system. I thought, she, you know? I thought she said she was like not a coffee drinker at all. I think it's she, just... She has her one cup. One cup. Yeah. I, I, why do I know all this information? <laughs> but <laughs> It must be like a... Mor- it's like a morning shift necessity kind yeah. of thing. You know? yeah. 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 All right. Well, she's still basically uh, a fraud and imposter. <laughs> she is. Coffee. She sure is. But, so, right. yeah. So, yesterday, Josh, like you said, we had the hearing um, where the Republican Council and the Democratic Council, of, of which there were two on the Democratic side... Um, Daniel Goldman, who is the House Intel Committee Counsel, and I'm blanking on the uh, Burke, Burke uh, uh, Brian, the Judiciary Counsel. I'm spacing on his name. So yeah, like you said, they basically just yelled at each other for a long time. The Republicans kind of raised all these procedural gripes about just the process, and that kind of seems to be the main argument that Republicans are kind of trying to make, that it's unfair or too rushed or bogus. You had a post went up this morning yesterday yeah i actually wrote it last night but i, I got tired uh yeah it's gotten <laughs> it's gotten like a decent amount of feedback i don't know and at okay. least in our inboxes tell us kind of about you know what you were what you were thinking and you you know you mentioned that you had taken the privilege of of uh tuning out yesterday yeah uh, you know t- to me when you have hearings where they are interviewing fact witnesses, and in a few of those cases, uh, they, you know, in some cases they had done depositions before, so they had a rough sense of what the what the person was going to say. Obviously, we had some surprises, but if you if you follow these things really closely and listen to the nitty gritty, you get new facts, and that's always, at least to me, that's inherently interesting. I'm always looking for little, you know new details to the story. But we're at the point now in 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 this process where we're not talking about factual details. We had this hearing uh, last week that was basically talking to constitutional scholars to get an understanding of what the sort of the standards are to the extent that there are uh, agreed upon standards. And then yesterday you had, uh, and, it, and it's funny because the president's council, it's not supposed to be like the majority against the minority. It's supposed to be the committee versus the president, who's the person who's being, you know, in a sense, prosecuted or indicted. And kind of going over what we've been hearing for for weeks yeah. and and I don't to to a certain extent I don't want to give the republicans the uh, the, the, kind of what they were trying to accomplish by just constantly interrupting which is sort of make it into a joke uh, because you know it, before I kind of tuned out there's that part where they got in this whole fight about whether they should have sworn in the witnesses in in the first part and the and the issue here was are they you know they're staffers who are acting as witnesses and at one point they're one or the other 
but it's all kind of meaningless. You know, you don't have to be sworn in to to be under uh, penalty of, of of lying to Congress. Blah 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 blah. But the real thing is that the president has been accused of doing a certain thing, and he is so obviously guilty of that thing. Now you can say like doesn't matter, but he's so obviously guilty. I mean. All, we have all this evidence, documentary evidence that says he did it. His accomplices have all come in and say, yep, he did it. And he's saying he did it. So, like, what are we even talking about? You know, and at a certain point, it again, it you sort of run out of things to say because if you're listening, it's obvious he did it. And I worry and, – and, and for me, it's kind of like I'm in this, uh, uh, you know – in this bizarre thing where I'm hearing the same obvious thing over and, and, and you've got the minority staff kind of saying, well, they've always wanted to, always wanted to impeach him. And these things that are just, just non sequiturs and not really, uh, 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 relevant. And I worry at some level that Democrats are getting themselves into this situation where Republicans have just decided we are not going to be convinced. No matter what you say, we're not going to be convinced that he did it. And if he did it, it's great that he did it and, and whatever. So if you keep, I think we all know from, from, from like personal experience in our lives, if you were trying to get someone to do something and they have decided they are not going to do it and you can't make them do it, it's it's sort of like self-mocking it's and it's very demoralizing mm. because there you've totally ceded your power and th- that that's what's happened here so um it 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 does kind of become absurd and i think it's important for democrats i've said this in a few posts trump obviously did this so so his guilt about this is 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 not even really in question this is really about the republicans and they need to focus it a little more on the Republicans, not have it be, you know, constant exasperation, like, oh, isn't it enough yet? You know, isn't it obvious to saying, no, you have clearly decided you will let this president do anything. And so we were just going to make that point. That's the point we're trying to make, because we know the president did it. We're talking about you. And that, I think, gets the gets the equilibrium a little better and 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 gets gets you out of this kind of very uh you know, demoralizing, enervating, disempowering kind of situation. Yeah, it's a good point. And it's kind of interesting because if, you know, if Democrats did take that approach, it would be better if if you think about what they're doing now, reiterating the same facts over and over again is such a Trump tactic of like normalizing bad behavior. So the more we keep talking about, well, this is what happened out in public do the American people just start thinking, well, this is normal. I guess if we're going to just, you know, keep repeating the same things over and over again, it kind of loses its its edge. There. Yeah, and that's 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 kind of the reason I think the sort of the moving quickly thing is what right. you want to do. Because, yeah. again, let's put it this way. No, there's no one in American politics who would ever find it acceptable for a president of the opposite party to do what Trump has done. That is absolutely crystal clear. Absolute. There's like, no question that he did it. Yeah. So let's just move ahead because like, you know, the train's moving, you be, you know, be on the train or not. There's just no point in, in, in waiting. What do you think of the argument, Josh, that um, the Democrats should at least broaden the scope slightly to include stuff like emoluments, um, basically, I mean, uh, uh, other like pretty well documented violations of, uh, that Trump has committed? 
uh I, I go back and forth. I kind of, I haven't a chance to, to look at these articles yet, but at least my understanding is, well, I think it makes sense to sort of say, look, this is a pattern of conduct. We didn't, he wasn't like a normal president until a couple months ago and we suddenly just found out he'd done this terrible thing. He did exactly the same thing like a couple years ago. So I don't know how the these articles are, are framed, whether they sort of note that. I think that is worth noting. Um, on on those other points, you know, I can kind of see both sides of it. I think uh, the truth is we don't we have we have some evidence, lots of things pointing at a lot of emolument stuff. We don't really have the full picture, so I really think you would need to kind of dig a little more. So I'm kind of fine with like let, let's just move ahead. This is clear. It's not like. Um, it's certainly not the case that uh, kind of like Democrats are now somehow saying that he didn't do those things. You know, I, I, I think. And we've talked a little bit on this sh- on the on the podcast before about how this scandal is kind of easily digestible. Like you've said, Josh, over and over again, Trump admits it in this in the memo of the call with uh, President Zelensky. So it's all kind of wrapped up in a nice little package. It's easy to understand. I do wonder, Josh Kavensky, I'm curious what you think. I mean, the emolument stuff. Yeah, there's obviously like lots of other, I don't know, areas you could pursue, but it's kind of like when you're talking about things such as hotel rooms at the DC hotel yeah. and stuff, it's kind of like, I don't know, I wonder if it starts to blur a little bit in people's it, minds. I mean, I think it could go both ways. Like I could easily see, um, I mean, a process similar to what we just saw with you know, the Ukraine investigation playing out over you know impeachment. It was something similar basically playing out with emoluments where it's just, you know, Trump was like basically selling access to government or was like, you know, basically robbing government money by siphoning it into his own businesses right. in various ways. Yeah. And that's pretty easy for people to understand. I yeah, think. that's true. That's true. I think, I mean, to me, what he's actually accused of here is not really materially any different from the yeah. emolument stuff. Right. He's basically using the government for his own personal means. And, you know, in some ways, yeah. emo- you know, cash transfers i mean the fact that like the saudis rented a bunch of rooms and left them empty that damaged the country far less worse than this did right right? and they're all kind of the same thing i think it's also yeah. it's, it's interconnected because, for example, I mean Zelensky on the phone call with Trump mentioned that he uh, stayed yeah just in, like, stayed in the Trump Tower. Right. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. Like, no, yeah. It, it all seems normal at a certain point. Yeah, like yeah. that's almost like, and and yeah, I, I I guess I am in I am in the mode, and I think they should be in the mode of. It's really easy. There's a million different things you could do. It's really easy to start second guessing. Could have done this. Could have done that, and. I think the most important thing right now is to say, look, he's done a lot of things. This one is absolutely crystal clear. There's really zero ambiguity that this is, you know, the worst kind of abuse of power. And there's zero ambiguity that he did it. And and so it is really important to push the process through. This is what you're supposed to do when a president does something this bad. And just do it. And the fact that you could have added a bunch of things like, yep, you could. Maybe you investigate them later or whatever. But like, it's sort of not a time for second guessing. Because again, the bigger issue here isn't, you know, whether you put on emoluments or not. The big issue to me is he did this. It's important to go through this constitutional process because what he did is so grave. And it's important to show that the opposition party could not care less. 
Yeah. I was curious. I'm, I, it'll be interesting to see what the Republican reaction is to the exclusion of anything found in the Mueller report, just because, I mean, obstruction of justice was one thing that they were in considering including at one point. Well, um, let me ask you, I, I haven't seen the actual articles yet. Do they get into that pattern of conduct stuff or they just really leave that totally they to allude, the side? They allude to it. They say um, that like something like to the effect of this isn't the first time that Trump has solicited foreign help in an election. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, I mean, I'll have to look at, I mean, I think that is sort of like I, I was doing some reporting, uh, I'm losing track of time here, I guess it was late last week, um, and that seemed to be what the sort of the the center of gravity of the decision makers were sort of like, we have to note that this is a pattern of conduct. It's not a matter of, of, of name checking Mueller. It's not a matter of like, you know, saying maybe Michael Cohn was in Prague or something like that. But to just say, look, dude, this isn't the first time. And because, and, again, it would be it wouldn't be OK, but it would be different if this was just sort of like an out of the blue thing, again, not okay, I think it should still be impeached, but you could sort of say like, look, <laughs> all right, this was a huge fuck up, but like we've never removed a president from power before. But in this case, he's done it before. He still says it's okay. There's every reason to believe that he will continue to do this. And I think he will continue to do this after he's acquitted. But you at yeah. least have to sort of go on the record right. of I mean, saying it's officially not okay. And Giuliani went to Kiev last week. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, I it's to reinforce your point. Like, I, I one of my, <laughs> I was just telling someone I, I have, uh, uh, <laughs> one of my sons has this thing where sometimes he's he's both misbehaving in a certain way and also demanding you you. Exp Prove to him that he's misbehaving <laughs> at the same time, right? And I was thinking that's kind of like Trump. Yeah. He's he's both insisting that that he's being framed while he's doing the thing in <laughs> front of you, and that's why people talk about gaslighting. Yeah. You're like, dude, what are you like? It's hard to process these things. Right. Yeah, it's true. I mean, Trump gets up on the White House South Lawn and says, "China, you should investigate Biden too," and not to mention Ukraine and, you know, it's all on camera and out in the open. So it sounds like this, the hearing yesterday in the Judi Judiciary Committee is the last public impeachment hearing before a vote. I think... Wasn't the, there a, a mark a markup process yeah, that it's I guess not... maybe a, there not, will be... It's not testimony, but I think that's a... Yeah, you might be right. There might be maybe one more kind of public appearance just between the committee itself. And then it sounds like maybe late next week, maybe into the weekend, just before... Christmas comes around, we'll get a vote on the on these two articles. Could be like what the twenty first, twenty second, something like that. Twentieth, the tenth. Yeah. So, I guess what early next week is when. Wait. Well, judiciary committee's voting on Thursday. Right. Um, so I mean, like a just, full house. Right. The full house Depending vote. On, right. Exactly. Yeah. So um, pretty quick. I mean, pretty quick. Moving yeah. About as 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 house things go. Yeah. Pretty, I think everyone fast. wants to definitely get it wrapped up before kind of big holidays and you know no one in congress wants to stick around longer than they need to so that's kind of what we'll be on the lookout for then so let's turn our attention to another kind of big story that was unfolding yesterday at the same time as the impeachment hearing was happening which was this long-awaited inspector general report on the 2016 russia probe uh nicole and josh k you guys were both digging through this 
furiously as it came out. It dropped right around one o'clock, I guess. Yeah, around one p.m. Just as the hearing was kind of reaching its crescendo in a way. Um, among some of the other findings, I mean, the, I think the big takeaways were the the probe was open. There was sufficient evidence to open this probe. Uh, political bias within the FBI, which is something Trump has railed on and on about for a couple of years, didn't didn't impact the kind of opening of the probe. Nicole, what were some of the other kind of big takeaways that that uh, that came out? Well, the um, Steele dossier wasn't used to open at least the initial investigation, which was kind of huge because it that's been Republicans' main talking point for a very long time. Um, there was also just some smaller stuff, like um, the involvement of Lisa Page and Peter Strzok wasn't as um, looming and large as Trump has made it out to be as well. Um, and then the Ivanka bit was very weird. Uh, we were all kind of shocked about that. So basically there was a section of the probe or of the report where Christopher Steele told Horowitz, I think, that uh, the that there was no way, you know, it was ridiculous that he would have bias against Trump because he's, um, you know, a, an acquaintance of this family member of right. the Trump family and um, that they had been in contact at least, you know, on and off since from 2007, I think, till 2015. Um, and I think it was ABC News was the first to confirm or uh, figure out that it was well, do we know that what that means in contact that's sort of like a, a bit of a loaded so phrase in the context apparently um, dinner right there was some type of dinner where they first met i think the idea was that christopher Steele, who's a former british spy um could be sort of useful in you know facilitating foreign deals in the trump uh you know the the trump real estate kind of empire i guess so i think it was it's like a it was a business relationship or maybe a consulting but not kind of, more than than and I, i'm not trying to imply like a romantic connection but but it was a little unclear to me whether it was sort of like social more, or yeah a little yeah. more social than just professional i i don't know i mean people kept using the word relationship and headlines which i thought was kind of interesting so maybe there's something that that we don't know right. exactly but that, i think the the at least the gist on the surface was that, yeah, kind of a, you know, like a business conversation kind of branching out into new markets or different kind of areas that. Mm -hmm. But if they've, but if they, they, if they remained in contact of some, of some sort over five or six years, that's, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. It's yeah. not, know, it's, it's not it's, nothing yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I think the phrasing was off and on. So. Right. Who knows what that means? Even that means exactly. They're all such loaded, <laughs> loaded <laughs> terms, yeah, right? right? I mean, um, who knows? Yeah, uh, Josh K. What what jumped out to you? Anything else we're kind of missing out, um, missing out on? One thing that struck me was uh, e there were FBI agents working the investigation who were like extremely pro-Trump and like were texting with each other uh, about you know supporting Trump and supporting his election to a degree that like if probably matched if not if not like where maybe like was worse than what was revealed from the struck and page texts so I mean there was one exchange where it was like it was right after Trump's election and one of the FBI agents who was actually handling a source in the Trump campaign texted another saying like 
uh, something, something to the effect of like, I can't wait until all these like liberal FBI agents get fired <laughs> in January. And the other one's like, you know, yeah, I'll like, uh, make a big bowl of popcorn. So, I mean, that was like an interesting, just kind of also to the counter the narrative that the right has been putting out there that like, um, you know, the FBI, this was just like an FBI that was infiltrated by Obama administration loyalists who were just out to, you know, destabilize the Trump, like the Trump presidency. I mean, that wasn't the case. There were people who had their own political views, but were considering to do their jobs regardless of what they privately believed. Um, the other point that struck me was um, that we've seen over the past like year or so, there's been some complaints from the Trump campaign and people defending it that they never received a so-called defensive briefing from the FBI. Um, and so the argument goes that like the FBI was aware that the Russians were trying to like interfere with the election, that they were trying to kind of co-opt the Trump campaign, and the Trump campaign was left defenseless. And so because the FBI never kind of ta- told them what was going on, therefore they were the victims. Um, and what the Horowitz report revealed was that the uh, FBI guy in charge of counterintelligence declined to do that initially because um, he they did not know if somebody in the Trump campaign was like cooperating with the Russians. Right. And so they, they determined they would have, could have compromised the entire investigation if they had done the briefing. Right. Now, now okay, so when was that, though? Because there was that... There was like a later briefing, but it was limited in scope, I think, what they told the campaign. Uh, right. So yeah. I, guess, I guess the issue here, there's like a... A sort of an official defensive briefing, and yeah. then there's a more general intelligence briefing where it comes up like Russia is trying to kind of involve itself in this campaign. So it's not directly saying right. we know they're targeting you, but it's not like they. I mean, that should have been enough. Yeah, and yeah. and that and that happened in August. It happened in August, and okay. so and the discussions around the initial defensive briefing were like late July. So it was, and it, yeah. it was when it was Papadopoulos that they were worried about. I right. read a little bit further down. Um, so it would have been, I don't remember when exactly he left the campaign, but I just thought it was that interesting it, character. Now, is that when, when they did that, though, was that sort of saying, OK, we're changing our mind. We are going to do it. Or they didn't consider that to be the defensive briefing. Well, I think I mean, from what I was reading, it was more so that, um, I mean, Horowitz basically determined that at that time, it was just a value judgment on the part of, yeah. what's his name? Priestap? Yeah. Bill Priestap, yeah. yeah. Right, right. He's, oh, and he's the one who made that made that decision. Yeah, he's yeah. the one who also made the decision to open the investigation in the first place. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So, remind me what's happened to him. He's one of these kind of second level people who, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. He's, but he wasn't like canned as far as we know. He wasn't. But one of the interesting, so, yeah. one of the interesting so. things that's come out is that like, so what happened yesterday was also, you know, the reports released and simultaneously Barr and Durham released these statements saying like, well, you know, yeah, Horowitz found that like the investigation was justified in being opened and there was no political bias, but we disagree. Um, but it really all kind of comes down to this one guy. Like the report makes very clear that in the discussions around the investigation this being guy. pre-step, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was the one who made the call and opening the probe. So, I mean, what they're really saying is like, we disagree with this one career FBI official's judgment. Um, who was in consultation with political appointees and other people, but I mean, he's, you know, it, it was up to him. Right. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. The bar, I mean, the bar statement was pretty remarkable, right? I mean, we've talked on staff about at various times how it's not uncommon for the attorney general to issue a statement or have a kind of response to one of these IG reports. Generally, it's sort of like, yeah, we understand, you know, there were mistakes or errors and, um, you know, it's kind of trying to defend the Department of Justice. Yeah. yeah. In this case, it's like, no, we suck, and you did not tell us we suck bad well, enough. Well, the whole basically. thing with the Inspector General thing—it's supposed to be adversarial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, in a in a in a police procedural when they call like internal affairs, right? The guys who get people in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what the Inspector General is. So it's it it is bizarre. 
the the whole well the other thing about the this Durham thing is at least the idea is or I'm not sure if he's saying this directly but they're kind of saying like well Horowitz only had access to the Justice Department we have access to things outside the Justice Department and it's hard to know what that means beyond you were going to Italy yeah. and, and <laughs> yeah. or go, you in know, the UK and outside the yeah. country or Australia or something. I mean, yeah. what else can it really mean? It's also weird because Horowitz, I mean, did searches outside of the Justice Department, I think. If I recall from reading the report, maybe you can correct me on this, Nicole, but they were citing well, I guess like he other. He can't compel things. He can't compel. The but he Department. received stuff, I think, from the intelligence community. Right. Right. Well, I think that was that whole thing where yeah. um, Barr wanted the authority and Trump gave it to him to be able to go into the intelligence community outside the FBI, which obviously mm-hmm. the DOJ has, you know, semi oversees uh, uh, the FBI. And to basically go to the CIA and say, you have to talk to us. So, uh, and and there was that, well, okay, so the one thing we haven't talked about, and certainly the thing that Trump's defenders, it's all they've talked about, is this FISA warrant for mm-hmm. Carter Page. And so two things about that. They, to me, you know, Carter Page seems to have been a relatively, you know, minor part of this whole thing. Um, and I still have to go back and look closely at that part of the report. But what they basically seem to be saying is they were kind of slipshod in how they put the warrant together. There was other information that at least the Bureau had access to that wasn't there, blah, 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 blah. You know, these sound kind of like, you know, procedural shortcomings to me that I'm sure are totally commonplace in the way that law enforcement works, but suddenly they're really concerned about it because it's Carter Page, who's an interesting hill to die on yeah. Yeah. in in itself. Um, but uh, wait, I'm, I'm spacing here on what my, what was the other point I was going to make? In any case, they think that is a a huge thing. What do we What do we think about that part. Oh, and the other part I was going to mention is it does come up that that what that he was a a, a uh, basically seemed to suggest he was a source of another intelligence like CIA agency, or something. Yeah. and I guess it's the CIA, yeah. which does seem. I mean, that's interesting. Um, it's a little hard to know. It's very hard to know quite what that means. CIA well, talks to yeah. all sorts of people. Sometimes they're doubles. Who knows? I mean, there's also a history of, of stuff between the FBI and the CIA, mm-hmm. not trusting each other. Um, they, they, the people who, um, the Trump defenders who I have seen talking about this have treated this like this is dispositive. You know, like okay. Carter was one of our guys and they went <laughs> after him. Um, and I mean, where, but, the, where the IG landed, as my reading was that, like, he said that there were certain kind of judgment calls where he could not determine what the motivation was for why that call was made. Um, and that he couldn't determine that from the interviews with people. But it wasn't, it, what he was basically saying is like, look, I can't rule out that there was like certain, that there were certain motivations for this. or so like maybe a political motivation, maybe a non-political motivation. I just don't know. Um, but then when you kind of read further and read the description of their interviews with people and how those decisions were made, it, it's really clear that like there was information that a year or two later became very significant, but back in July, August, September 2016, it just wasn't clear to the people who were maybe like filing the FISA warrant applications mm-hmm. that something would like later turn out to be maybe exculpatory. Or this cooperator thing specifically, or just well, other stuff? Well, th- th- that, but also, I mean, there was a lot of different things. I mean, part of it also came up in, with respect to like the Steele dossier, 
and whether or not they were including information from that in the FISA warrant applications, whether or not they were kind of like weighing certain uh, things about Steele's background. You know, there was a whole, there's a whole thing in there about whether or not he had provided information that would had been used for criminal proceedings or not. Um, and that was one thing that they like overstated. But I mean, there were things like that where it's like I mean, there were overstatements. Is that the yeah. the FIFA thing? FIFA, yeah, okay. FIFA. And and he had not, or that it wasn't well, it, actually used, or some even that it's like. It, it had it had made it into like I think files that had to do with like a criminal investigation, but it hadn't been brought before court. So and like and they had stated that it had been used like in a criminal proceeding. So it's like it's it, it, it's a step beyond, but it's like, you know, it it it, it kind of seemed like is that they were a little bit sloppy and they didn't go like above and beyond to like kind of run down every last piece of information that they were putting into these applications. That's true, right? But it's also. You know, it's, 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 as you said, it's kind of applying it to a level of scrutiny that, like, doesn't really... <laughs> and with the Steele dossier, I mean, one thing that I noted just from a section I was reading, and I don't remember who the woman was, but they were talking about um, using the dossier f- f- to obtain, you know, this initial uh, FISA warrant. And um, the, Horowitz made a point of noting that the woman said that this, the dossier put what they already have over the edge like it was in addition to whatever evidence they already had um that this was kind of okay well this further fluffs what we have so let's just use it kind of thing which that may have just been one specific um maybe the initial application or something along those lines but it's as much as it was part of that process it was in addition to other evidence already anyways right yeah i mean i guess you know one one of the suspicions I have of this whole process is is that if you you know if you look hard enough, and that has really been like Horowitz's mo through this whole like two or three years, the that little kind of mini report he had about James Comey was another example of this. That the the the, the real findings were were you know didn't break any laws didn't break any classification rules, but then spent the whole report just saying, and you suck, and I'm so disappointed in you, <laughs> and kind of just coming up with all this kind of trash talk mm-hmm. that kind of like, well, you, and yet you don't seem to have actually been able to say he did anything wrong, let alone broke, you know, break any rules. You know, a, 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 a warrant is not a, for better or worse, a warrant is not a criminal trial. It's not like everything there is proven beyond a doubt. It, mm-hmm. It's kind of like this. You right. you put stuff in, you don't necessarily know. And I'm not. My point here is not to defend that. Although I think that is kind of in the nature of what it is. It's to be able to investigate. You kind of, you know, it's, right. it's kind of putting the cart before the horse. But that definitely is what it is like. And and again, you you've got this. You've got this overall process where people want to discredit the existence of this entire investigation and they are, you know, becoming sort of like, you know, ACLU extremists on behalf of this one thing, this one, you know, this one thing about, about Carter Page. Now, the part that I saw, which seemed, again, a little more a little more legitimate is I think they're also saying like, okay, you did this first one in the heat of the moment in a sort of a crisis situation, but then you kept re-upping it month, you know, kind of, I don't know, what three months or whatever, you know, all the way into like June or July, 2017. Right. So like Rosenstein, for example, was involved in re-approving it. Right. And, and so, and basically the point being like each time you go back, you need to go back and see if your evidence is still, legit and you know by that point maybe you knew that you couldn't include the steel dossier like okay <laughs> you know what are we you know 
Sure. Yeah. One of the points I think that's interesting here too, that's similar, is that um, you know uh, the right has also raised this issue of like, is it proper for the FBI to investigate to be investigating a political campaign? And a lot of the uh, IG report really focused on that one issue. And one of the interesting things that came out about it was that the IG has all these recommendations on like certain policies and safeguards that should be put in place if in a similar situation where all of a sudden there is like suspected criminal activity on the part of a major presidential campaign or political campaign. And you know, what, is the, what should the FBI do to make sure that like this is all authorized in a proper way? And I mean, those are legitimate kind of good faith concerns I think people can have. But the report basically suggests that like the FBI officials involved decided to go above and beyond in ensuring that they everything they did was like kind of double checked and approved because they're aware of how sensitive, you know, an investigation like that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the and some of the policy recommendations that Horowitz put forth are actually based off of the actions that they took. Um, Interesting. Even, even though they were operating a void. Well, uh, see, it's, th- it's one of the things. Yeah. This is the thing that really gets me about this whole this whole process and how our perceptions of it have been so distorted that again as I read the summary I kind of jumped in a few, you know different places I have not read the entire report word for word but the gist that I saw was basically look people kind of followed the procedures didn't find any obvious examples of anybody acting with bias but sort of like look this was weird major presidential campaign in the heat of the campaign being investigated by the FBI when the FBI is at least, you know, nominally controlled by a president of the opposite party. It's pretty weird. We have a lot of concerns. You're like, no shit. No shit. This was a really fucking weird situation. And yeah, you know, it, it's. I think everybody was kind of put in an awkward situation because because this foreign power was intervening in a U.S. election and the campaign was saying, "Awesome, let's do it. Let's get together. Let's talk. Let's do business." Like, like yeah. it put everybody in a kind of tough situation. And, and the that's other point, kind of more on Trump. And the other point too is that like this investigation was opened by some of the same people who three weeks before had closed the Hillary Clinton email investigation. Right. So I mean. The, the report addresses like the issue around inve- criminally investigating a major presidential campaign, but like it's only addressing the issues that arose in the investigation of the Trump campaign, right? To put it my well, and this I is mean, look, yeah. this is that we've talked about this before on this podcast, but people, bureaucrats, bend to power, and the big thing about and the thing we have to say just to be very uh, clear, you know, Michael Horowitz is not appointed by Donald Trump. It, it's not a political appointment. It's sort of a not. It's these are the IG is always like an apolitical appointment. But he was he was appointed under Barack Obama, so it's not like this guy's like a Trump loon or something like that. But what you have seen through this entire three year process is ask questions. Don't ask questions that are going to come up with bad answers for Donald Trump. Ask questions that will at least not come up with anything bad and maybe come up with something kind of good or something that he can that he can work with and if you remember Horowitz was charged in in November October November of 2016 with doing an investigation into whether or not uh, bias in the in the New York field office of the FBI was responsible for the whole thing of the Comey letter and leaking and and uh, Anthony Weiner's laptop and it gets stuff. Back to Giuliani and that as well. It, yes, exactly. And that has still not happened. Yeah. And every time we get one of these reports, I keep seeing 
it drives me crazy. There are these kind of like, you know, kind of do-gooder law school type, uh, law professor types, like, oh, well, I heard he's doing it in the in the next IG report. Every single report, it's like, oh, he's just about to get to it. Well, this is an example of how this works. That is not something that is going to generate anything good for Donald Trump. Yeah. It it Maybe it won't be as bad as people like me think it will be, but it won't be great. It will not be great because clearly – even if it was through intermediaries or something, people were leaking stuff like crazy to Giuliani and other people. And it is very clear that a key reason that Comey sent that letter is that he knew the people who work for him were going to force the matter if he if he didn't. And again, it's three it's three years and that has still not happened, which is insane, insane. Every other thing we're looking at these like, you know, FISA things for like the 20th time. And this basic thing that was supposed to happen, you know, supposed to have been done three years ago is still not happened. You just, you know, it, it it's sort of like with with the Comey thing, you know. All right. Didn't do anything wrong. But bad Comey, oh, bad, bad, bad Comey, you've been a very bad boy. You know, just, it's, yeah, it's very, yeah. it's annoying. All right, well, maybe that's a good place to leave, uh, leave all that. Let's, um, let's move on to one last topic. But before we do that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, Josh Kavinsky, since we have you back on the show today, wanted to take advantage of asking you about a a recent story you had, an exclusive story for TPM. I'm not going to really even do it justice trying to kind of summarize it, but tell our listeners kind of what what you've been working on. Sure. So the story, um, I think, kind of introduces and details the involvement of a new Ukrainian who really stands to benefit from... uh, helping Giuliani in his quest for dirt on uh, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and the uh, you know prosecution of Paul Manafort. Um, and that Ukrainian is, as you said, a guy named Igor Kolomoisky. Uh, he has a fascinating background. He is um, this like kind of bulbous, like Santa Claus-esque, <laughs> uh, but really vulgar and like really aggressive uh, Ukrainian oligarch. I mean, there's like, there are video, there are I mean, audio clips of him online, like threatening to have people murdered. Like he's really, and he obviously, just so we don't get sued, he denies any allegations of contract killings, but he, uh, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but, so do I. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but he, uh, he, I mean, but he, I mean, that, that is his reputation in Ukraine. Um, and he was even vulgar with you on the phone, was it? On 
WhatsApp. Yeah. Email, yeah. I uh, mean, when you were trying to reach out to him about this story too. Yeah. And one, one great thing about him is that so Ru- the Russian language has this really like expressive, like just like, <laughs> like a language of profanity and he's like fully into it. Um, I mean, he has like a full command of it. Uh, so it's always like very creative, like the way he uh, insults you. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the story is basically that he, um, so he, thanks to his, I mean, let me rewind a little bit. So 2014, Ukraine has this revolution. It, the country starts to split split apart uh, thanks to you know Russia occupying Crimea, but also thanks to Russia stoking kind of anti-Ukrainian sentiment in various regions. And so Kolomoisky is put in charge of his native region. Um, and is that it, on the east side? Of- yeah, it, it, it's in the east. And so he successfully puts down um, you know a revolt. And it's not clear how he did that, but like again, you can kind of like put the pieces together from what I just said. Um, like like in a paramilitary way like a well, private army kind of stuff yeah so so, okay. he, so he's jewish but he he uh finances all of these like neo-nazi battalions um to like okay. to like cleanse his city and then they go fight in the east um so now who when they when but like cleanse of who uh i mean just like be people pro russian forces so there's okay. this like i mentioned the audio clips there's this audio clip uh, on YouTube, you, anybody can go listen to it. it's in Russian, but still, it's like there was this pro-Russian like parliamentarian there. He was like a national politician, but from his from this like area, um, who was like advocating for Ukraine to like become part of Russia right, during that time period. Which is cra- you can imagine like, a member, member of Congress advocating for that. It's wild, well, like crazy. The, like the entire country to be absorbed, or like the East, yeah. or the whole country. Just like I, if I recall correctly, he, yeah, to... yeah, he was like saying like, look, we should just join. Right. Um, okay. And uh, there's this audio of Kolomoisky calling this politician and telling him, like, look, you know, um, I'm at synagogue right now. It's very weird. He says, like, I'm at, I'm at synagogue, you know, a member of the Jewish community uh, just died in the fighting in the East. Um, and we've all decided that it's your fault. So you should not return to Ukraine. I know you're in Moscow and you need to get all of your relatives out of the city because if they don't leave by tomorrow morning, we're going to hang them on the city on the central square. Um, and so, it, like, I mean, th- that, that that's what was going on. And yeah. and and. So, so I understand this. Maybe for listeners to understand this, the general idea is that sort of uh, a lot of Ukrainian hypernationalists. Yeah. There's a lot of kind of both the accusation of sort of because stuff that happened in World War II and yeah. Nazi affiliation and like some reality of that too. So that's how sort of like someone who's Jewish can end up like. Right. Sponsoring like neo-Nazi groups. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but also, you know, there's this big debate there of like, was he protecting Ukraine or was he protecting his business interests? And I mean, you know, it's very useful to have like a army of like, you know, armed armed men to like walk around patrolling your factories or whatever. Um, And where exactly is like, where's his home base? It's called uh, Dnipropetrovsk. It's like now Dnipro. It's like it's eastern Ukraine. Um, It's a couple hundred miles from the front line right now, but it is like close enough. It's, it's, it's like a very short helicopter flight. So um, all the wounded soldiers uh, who are wounded in the east get taken to like his hometown for uh, to be like healed. Um, so it, it, it is close and it's a Russian, you know, it's a Russian language city. Um, it was where all the rockets were built. Uh, so it's still like parts of the east foreigners still can't go to because they build these like they still build like these huge rocket engines that were used for Soviet ICBMs and are still used for like, uh, you know, various international like launch services. So it's like a very weird place, but also one that's like really strategically important. Um, so that's his home base. And so thanks to his position, kind of like defending this part of the country, he became really powerful in Ukraine. Um, he had this bank that controlled like something like more than like it had like over 50 percent of the financial market in Ukraine. Um, he had all these armed guys running around and he was he became in around 2015, 2016, a huge obstacle 
to uh, any any attempt at reforming the country because he was a huge stakeholder. He had the means, both politically and just like physically, to block any changes. Um, Let yeah. me ask you. It, so, does this mean that his? Because I think in one of our earlier episodes, you said that he was kind of one of the top five yeah, yeah. oligarchs. Do you mean that that status is really a a post twenty fourteen thing to a significant extent? He got he briefly got stronger thanks to this, okay. but he was always kind of in the top five. Yeah. Okay, got it. But got it. because he had like this, I mean, he was governor of that state basically, and because he had all these like armed guys, like that really helped. Um, but he, uh, <laughs> but I mean, basically, he he overplayed his hand. Like he was too aggressive, and so he got fired as governor. And then what happened was, is his bank um, he is accused of embezzling just like billions and billions of dollars from it, and so it got to the point where. The bank needed money from the state or else it was going to collapse and take down the entire financial system with it. And so what he was doing was he was saying was like, look, if you don't like help me out here, I'm going to destroy the country's financial system. And they ended up reaching an agreement where the government agreed to like nationalize basically the losses. So they took over the bank um, with around $6 billion in losses and Kolomoisky left the country. So he was in exile from 2016 until the election of Zelensky in um, April. Uh, who was a comedian who uh, became famous on this oligarch Kolomoisky's TV channel. Now, so there's one big issue that involved foreign policy. That's the issue of this bank. The money was flowing out of Ukraine through Cyprus. Some of it went into the United States, allegedly. Um, it went around the world. So this has become like in kind of the annals of asset recovery and international corruption and kleptocracy. This is a huge case. Um, the other point is that that um, case has spawned a FBI investigation run out of the Northern District of Illinois because uh, Kolomoisky, for whatever reason, invested a lot of the money he took from the bank, allegedly, into a Cleveland commercial property. So he, at some point in the mid-2010s, he was uh, like the biggest property owner in Cleveland, very weirdly. But um, so in any, in any case, it gives, it gives, it's created like this big U.S. nexus. So That's you, under the jurisdiction of Northern, the Northern District of Illinois? Sorry, of, of Ohio. Okay. Ohio. Right. I, I misspoke. Yeah, Northern right. District of Ohio. Yeah. Um, so that's the situation. So what's resulted now is you have a, you have a situation where Kolomoisky, uh, he's under FBI investigation. He, he still has this huge issue with his bank that hasn't really been resolved. Um, it's not his anymore, but he's angry about it. And there's also just the question of like what happens to all the money that he basically took. Um, and those are two issues that are at least the investigations under the jurisdiction of the Justice Department and the bank issue is basically a foreign policy issue between the IMF, the U.S. and Ukraine. Um, and what it seems like is going on, what the story was about, is how he seems to have sensed an opening in resolving those two issues uh, via Rudy Giuliani, and how he has kind of perceived that helping out Giuliani is a way of getting influence with Trump and getting access to the Trump administration and gaining fav- favorable resolutions to those two issues. Which is analogous to what this guy Firtash yeah. also seemed to be doing, which is he's trying to he's trying to. Uh, get out of under these charges in that that are i think out of chicago um uh, bribery charges and he's fighting extradition and he he seems to have thought that if he came up with stuff on the bidens trump would make those charges go away so this seems like sort of they were trying to do a, a, a comparable deal with another oligarch exactly basically. yeah and so and it's interesting because it, it suggests that i mean Many different people operating in this region just recognize that this is an opportunity. They're like, hey, if you want to help Giuliani out in his search for like dirt, uh, you know, something good will be in store for you. Um, so Kolomoisky specifically, 
you know, so Giuliani went to Kiev last week, we mentioned earlier on the show. And uh, he, when he was there, he met with two people who were like very much just known to be closely associated with with uh, Kolomoisky. Um, one of them is a is a former journalist who's now a member of parliament, who was like uh, kind of like a star reporter on Kolomoisky's TV channel, um, but would also just like publish like stuff that was like very much just like pro the interests of this oligarch. And the other guy is a prosecutor who um, also I guess like met with Kolomoisky in Israel in the fall and in the spring and um, has also been like a regular guest on the show on, on, I mean not on the show on uh, Colin Whiskey's TV channel and also Ray brought criminal cases when he was yeah, a prosecutor against like various uh, Colin Whiskey competitors and adversaries um, and so I mean it, it, in Ukrainian politics it's all kind of like situational it's you can't really analyze it in the same way you analyze US politics because it's just it's corrupted and it's just different um, but you know, Giuliani meeting with those people provoked reactions from like a lot of different Ukraine observers. That I mean, this means that Giuliani is like there's something going on between these two. And then the third piece that we had was um, that Bud Cummins, the attorney who tried to interest uh, the Southern District of New York in a meeting with um, Ukrainian prosecutors about these same topics, about Hunter Biden, about the Black Ledger, and Paul Manafort, um, that he had Colin Whiskey as a client. Now. Okay, so and you had this earlier piece about Cummins yeah. and, and that he had gone to. So again, so uh, uh, Cummins is a very pro-Trump lawyer, lobbyist. Uh, Kolmoisky hires him to kind of make you know, kind of deal with his U.S.-based legal problems, right. and somehow or another, uh, in the process of that, Cummins gets kind of all the stuff that we now recognize as the Hunter Biden, all this kind of stuff, yeah. takes it to Jeffrey Berman at the Southern District of New York and says, hey, this is big. You got to you got to get on this. And what happens? So nothing. Um, <laughs> what happens is, is they have a phone call. Cummins then sends an email outlining. And it's the email. We haven't gotten a hold of it. I would love to read it because what Cummins has described of it is that it's like it's a parag- it's like a description of the Paul Manafort stuff, the allegations that the financial records that took Manafort down were falsified, and then it's a description of the Hunter Biden stuff. This is October 2018. It's before any of this is really public. Right. Um, and then Cummins like is sort of says like, look, I'm not vouching for the credibility of any of this, but like, hey, it'd be great if like you could meet Yuri Lutsenko, the Ukraine's prosecutor general, or maybe some of your line prosecutors could meet and team up with some of the Ukrainian line prosecutors working on these cases. Right. Um, so I mean, and, and, and he's like, okay, bye. Um, and so Berman never responds, probably wisely. And Cummins has said that he so it doesn't up. just say oh, okay, uh, nothing there. He just literally doesn't respond. There's from 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 what Cummins has said, there right. there was no response. Cummins okay. said he followed up three times by email, and there was no further response from the government from the Justice Department. You can totally picture that. Hey, just bumping this to the top of your inbox. <laughs> yeah, <again. laughs> so okay, so so here here's what I'm trying to understand about this, and I want to see if, if we can help our, our our listeners understand this. This is all way before all like lots of this stuff with the Furtash guy yeah. and all these different players kind of well before John Solomon really gets on this stuff. So this is like a year ago. Right. So several months before uh, let alone what blew up in September, even when kind of it was sort of in the distance and we were we were looking at it. And it involves not just the same charges, but Lutsenko as a key. So it almost seems like he was the first at this, and and these other guys kind of, you know, came at it yeah. later. But Lutsenko is, is sort of the 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 through line through it. What what do you what do you make sense of the progression? 
It's a really interesting question. Um, one thing that so we've been we've been talking about this since the beginning that like there's two halves to this, right? There's the Hunter Biden allegations, but there's also the the, the prosecution of Paul Manafort. And the thing is, is that Cummins first started having conversations with these intermediaries with the Ukrainians in September 2018, and that's when Manafort pleaded guilty, if you recall, um, and then embarked on this cooperation agreement that like didn't turn out to be anything, right? I mean, it was yeah, it, it was weirdly like I mean, it's still not clear what actually happened there, um, but. One question that's always kind of been in my mind with the timing has been the extent to which this was part of a plan to get Manafort off the charges. Because I mean, that that was the first. I mean, Cummins put that ahead of the Hunter Biden stuff in his email. He said um, he told us that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that, it, and it really seems just you know, if also if you go back to the timing again, whatever he was talking about in September, October, two thousand eighteen wasn't the 2020 election, really, what they were talking about was Manafort flipping right. and whether or not that was going to be, you know, the kind of this, like, what, what, what's the phrase? Like, um, like, uh, just like, like a real boon for the Mueller investigation. Right. Right. Um, well, it seemed it's at the time it people like and it, yeah. it, like, that was it. Like, like Manafort's the guy who knows all the details he's cooperating. So Trump is dead basically. Right. So yeah. if, you, if you want to think about like some kind of earlier pressure campaign, that's the big question in my mind is, is was this related to an effort to get Paul Manafort to like somehow discredit the allegations against Paul Manafort? And you know, how does that, we, you know, we know that Giuliani was talking to Paul Manafort's legal team. Um, we just don't know the details. Well, before, before you broke this story, there was already reporting out there that Giuliani's, you know, whole role in this started with Manafort, yeah. that it was to, that it was to prove Manafort, was innocent, uh, prove more generally that the whole Russia thing was, was, you know, a frame up. And then the Biden stuff was more kind of, you know, opportunistic along the way. Right. And, and as we would expect, became more relevant as you, you know, 2018, you're still 2020 still in the distance and get it 2019. The Biden stuff becomes, you know, becomes uh, bigger. But there's other stuff where, I mean, even during the 2016 campaign in that in that relatively brief period in which the Russia thing is already a public thing, but before Manafort is booted out of the campaign, which is only like six weeks or something like that, because the those emails come out in late July and he's gone by like mid-August or something like that. That he's then he's he, at the very beginning he's already saying, "Hey, man, Ukraine's behind this. It's not Russia." Yeah. Which again is what's coming out of Russia. So it you know he's 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 like this central thing through this, and and it's it's like his hand is still guiding things like years later. And I mean, and you're correct. I mean, the reporting has suggested that he's the one who really was pushing this narrative that Ukraine interfered. The other thing I would note, so I was in Kiev, I mean, over this time period during Manafort's first trial and then during the time that the plea agreement was struck. And I can tell you that like that first trial was really damaging to a lot of like powerful Ukrainians because, um, I mean, it basically revealed all of the offshores they were using to pay him. It revealed- Wait, were you still there during I, the first- Yeah, because I was there in August. I came here in October, at the end of October, 2018, and the trial was in August. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so like- it, uh, but it was really damaging to a lot of Ukrainians because powerful Ukrainians because it showed the offshores they were using and the bank accounts they were using. The prosecutors had all that. Oh, interesting. But it also showed which ones, of, which one of them were basically involved with Yanukovych and what the division of labor was. Because if you recall, like a lot of what was happening was like um, yeah, everybody kind of had different role and like you know who was financing what, and they were all kind of being like co-opted by the government. Um, and that was the first trial, which really was focused more on Manafort's financial wrongdoing. The second one was going to be Farah. 
Right. And that was, and I mean, the that's sen- the one that was called off. Yeah, that's the right. one that he played, he, he avoided with the guilty plea, right, the one in right, DC. Right, right. And the sense in Kiev was that that was going to be way more damaging because that was going to go really to what they were doing in Washington directly. Interesting. And I so, never, and so, never really. Yeah, so it's, all, about this it's, it's always been a question in my mind is like to what extent did that was that kind of outcome avoided by a metaphor being guilty. So is, is, is the idea with the first one that you've got a lot of powerful people who once Yanukovych is out, they're kind of trying to get right with the new regime yeah. and maybe the fullness of their sort of cooptation and and work for the old regime wasn't really clear. And this was so this was not helpful kind of. Right having all this stuff come out and maybe it wasn't as known as it as it would become from that from that trial i didn't i i yeah that that was lost on me that also just the other point i would raise again is like i just remember there being like the prosecutors would i mean it would just be the name of some like offshore registered in cyprus or the british virgin islands which like is very it's a boring detail but if all of a sudden let's say that offshore comes up and like as some of them did in like ukrainian public procurement contracts that's a big deal, right? Interesting. So th- there were a lot of unintended consequences that happened because of that, that. I mean, occurred because of that trial that I think hasn't really haven't really been made clear in the U.S. But like in Ukraine, it was like, you know, it was a, it was a problem for them. Fascinating. All right. Well, this is something we should return to. Yeah. Maybe we can wrap up by Josh. Is there any? Are there any kind of threads you can share that you're following on this front well, or anything? So you I mean, know, Adam Schiff last week, um, upon submitting the uh, report to the Judiciary Committee said that, I mean, that his, the Intelligence Committee is continuing to investigate whether, uh, you know, the pressure campaign began earlier than is, previ- than is currently known. So it's right. on their radar as well? Yes, that's yeah. on our radar. The other yeah. just thing is that Giuliani has said that he's going to release some other, his own reporting based off of his uh, trip to Kiev. <laughs> um, and that seems to involve, like, some Beyond the documentary? Yeah, it's yeah. going to be a separate report, and it seems to involve some conspiracy involving Franklin Templeton and $7 billion in bond issuances. Which I like, get this thing, because yeah. what they seem to be pointing out with Shift is that he owns just like a mutual fund. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just like absurd. So one of the people... Like his 401k is... Yeah, yeah. Literally. literally <laughs> li- these, are just, these are just funds. They're not... I yeah. mean... I, yeah. L- let me... Let me... <laughs> let me, let me uh, uh, take this back down to earth uh now obviously with giuliani we've had a lot of things with him where he's going to do this and he's going to do that and nothing ever happens but i seem to remember the last few days he there's something like nailed down like a time and a place he's going to do this or yesterday people were saying wednesday it's tomorrow but like um, where like on some uh, he's do, I, on someone's show or something yeah or? i i saw something like steve bannon's podcast jason oh yeah. right it was jason miller yeah. i was, saw that <laughs> yeah. you know you gotta you gotta um you gotta uh, uh, handle Jason Miller uh, uh, carefully nowadays. After what happened to our to our former colleague right. over at, at, at the at the dear departed uh, Splinter yeah. dot com or Splinter yeah. News, whatever. All right, we're pretty far afield here. Yeah. So let's okay. uh, <laughs> let me remind everybody uh, to drink uh, Grady's cold brew iced coffee, uh, even if uh, Kate Riga is 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 uh, is never going to do that. Um, so. Uh, uh, the Josh Marshall Podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. If you uh, were ready to give this world, get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Or if you want to be assimilated by the Amazon.com board, you can order it from Amazon.com for next day delivery. And uh, I guess that's all. We'll see you next week. All Nicole, right, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Nicole. Yeah, thanks and for Josh, thank me. you. Thanks. See you guys next week. See ya.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 